17th chapter of 1 Samuel, we find these words recorded in the first verse. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, as you uh, try to picture this man that has come down to this valley, I can understand why all of these men were afraid. <clears throat> he stood nearly 10 foot tall. We also find that as you read the uh, description of his armor, that he had a helmet of brass upon his head that probably weighed about 30 pounds. He had on his, uh, as his uh, armor, uh, it says a coat of mail that weighed 5,000 shekels, and that was of brass. That was about 157 pounds. It says that the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, very thick, probably about 26 feet long. And then at the end of that uh, staff was a head on that, which the Bible says was made out of iron, and it weighed about 18 pounds. Now, if I was throwing a spear, I'd want something lighter, but this man obviously was equipped to throw a spear like that. But imagine that, an 18-pound head on the end of a 26-foot-long staff. Uh, I've dealt with sledgehammers enough that uh, I don't want no 18-pound sledgehammer. Uh, four pounds is about the extent I want to deal with. Uh, but imagine uh, just the armor that this man's wearing. When you add it all together, the, the uh, boots that he wore, it says the grease of brass upon his legs would have equaled the weight of the helmet, which meant he'd have 15 pounds on each foot, and that was for stability, but also for defense. So imagine if you add all that up, you got uh, these uh, boots upon his feet, <clears throat> they weigh 30 pounds, 30 pounds upon his head, there's 60 pounds. Uh, you take that coat of mail, there's 157 pounds, nearly 160 right there. Uh, we've come to about 220 pounds just in his armor. Uh, then you start reading some of the other things that he's wearing. And then you start to read about his sword. You read about his spear. And I would have done like the rest. I'd have just stood there and watched. Uh, I would have just hoped that the Lord would send somebody uh, among the Israelite camp that would be as tall as him, as tough as him, as strong as him. Well, the Lord did. His name was Saul. As we read in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, one of the reasons that Saul was chosen 
is because this man was head and shoulders above anybody else in the land of Israel. And they chose him for that reason. Uh, they didn't choose him because, uh, you know, he had a good heart, which he did. Uh, they didn't, but he looked like a champion, the kind of person you'd want when you think of a physical appearance for your king. And so that's who they picked out. But yet now we find the Lord has departed from Saul. By the time we come to 1 Samuel 17, we find that Saul has twice offended God. So God has now removed the kingdom from him. In the chapter before, we find that uh, David is anointed king uh, in a private ceremony between his father and also Samuel. And so God has departed from Saul. We find that Saul has an evil spirit that comes and afflicts him. David will come and play music for Saul, and that will soothe that evil spirit. And for a little while, he could be calmed down. So obviously, the Lord's no longer with him. Now, Saul at one time in his service to God was a very brave individual. I find in 1 Samuel 14, verse 52, it says, There was sore war against the Philistine all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto him. So in days past, Saul was not afraid of valiant, strong men. When the Lord was with Saul and he felt the presence of God, Saul would choose out the most valiant in the enemy's army. And Saul would basically say, that one's mine. He belongs to me. He wouldn't pass that off to somebody else in Israel. He would go out there and defend Israel himself and take on the champions of the armies that he would face. So it's not a case where in the past he had been a coward. In the past, we find that Saul had been very courageous. Saul had been a man of war, a man that was efficient in battle, a man that understood how to defend himself and to go on the offense. Again, he was a valiant man, and he would say he would take that one to himself when he would see other valiant, strong men in the enemy's army. So here, though, they come to the time where there's an uh, enemy that now Saul is not willing to face. Now they have uh, an enemy that the Bible says is the champion of the Philistines. That word champion there means a go-between. And so here you have Goliath. He's the go-between between the Philistines and the Israelites. He's their representative. He even makes that clear. What's he say? He says, send one of yours. If they slay me, we'll serve you. If I slay him, you'll serve us. So all this uh, battle that's set in array depends on the battle between two individuals. Uh, Goliath and whoever will come out and uh, fight Goliath. And whoever wins, they win the victory over the entire nation of the representative that they defeat. So there's a lot on the line, is there not? I mean, all of a sudden, the Philistines will either be slaves or the Israelites will be slaves. And so there's a whole lot riding upon this one battle. Now we're going to find that for 40 days, uh, uh, Goliath is going to do this. For 40 days, he's going to come out to this valley and he's going to taunt the children of Israel and defy the army of Israel. Forty days this goes on. Forty is an important number in the Bible. Forty in the Bible is a number of judgment or trial. We find it many times that we find that uh, number found. For instance, in Genesis, uh, we find that after Noah made the ark, the Lord caused it to rain for forty days and forty nights. We find that uh, the uh, children of Israel, as they... Uh, began their wilderness journeys. Moses is on the mount for 40 days receiving the law of God. Then we find that the children of Israel, when they go to spy out the land of Israel, they go and spy it for 40 days. Why? They're trying the land. 
because they would not go into the land, God pronounced a curse on them that for 40 years they would not enter into the land. Uh, we find here in this experience that for 40 days the children of Israel are taunted by Goliath. They're tested and not one uh, up to this point shows the courage and none of them will pass the test. Uh, we find as we move forward in the scriptures that the Lord Jesus Christ, after he was baptized, was carried away by the spirit in the wilderness. And there he was being tempted by the devil for 40 days. Then we find that after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, how many days did he spend with the disciples? He spent 40 days. So 40 is a very significant number throughout the word of God. Well, here we find the children of Israel are tested for 40 days. And in 40 days, not one among them uh, has the strength of courage to stand up and say, you know what? Uh, I think the Lord will bless us. This enemy is an enemy of God more than he's an enemy of Israel. And I'm certainly going to trust that God is going to bless me uh, to uh, overcome this Philistine giant. But not one, not Saul, not any. Notice again, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now verse 12 says, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And a man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. It says the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. So you have three of uh, David's brothers out there at war. The Bible says in verse 14 that David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here's Saul out to war. David's allowed to go home. And while he's at home, what's he doing? What he always had done, tending to his father's flock. Here he is back at Bethlehem, tending to his father's sheep. Minding his own business, out here tending to sheep. He is doing what God has appointed him to do uh, by responsibility that his father's handed him. And so here he is just minding his own business, uh, handling sheep. But we'll find that the Lord is going to bless him in that experience. Because later he's going to talk to Saul and let Saul know some experiences he's had while he's out there tending to his father's sheep. You know, a shepherd's job can be a lonely job. So here is uh, David out here all by himself, day and night. A lot of time just spent alone between him and the animals there that he is watching over. We'll find that he would, of course, have a rod and a staff. Uh, he would talk about that in the 23rd Psalm. But also, here he is, a young boy at this time, young teenager, uh, probably around 17, 18 years of age. And here he is, an individual who is very handy with a slingshot. Now, that was back before, of course, there were firearms. And so a slingshot could prove very handy as you're defending your father's sheep. And so in those lonely hours of very little to do except for watching over sheep, I'm sure that David spent a lot of time perfecting his skills of uh, uh, shooting rocks through that slingshot. And so he uh, was very avid with that thing, uh, very avid. Uh, basically had become a soldier, if you will, in, in that type of warfare. One time we find that a lion comes out and takes one of his father's sheep. What does David do? Does he say, well, that was a goner. Can't help that. No. The Bible says he went out and took that lion by the beard and smote him and slew him and got that sheep and brought it back. Another occasion, a bear came. Now, if I was a shepherd and a bear or a lion took a sheep, I'd just count my losses and say, well, I can't help that. That's just beyond my control. Not David. David felt a concern for everyone that was entrusted to his care. He saw those as belonging to his father. 
and since they belonged to his father, and he was a steward over what uh, his father had entrusted his care, he would go out and battle whatever foe attacked any of his father's household. And that's the, exactly the way the Lord Jesus Christ saw his sheep, uh, that he would fight any foe, face any giant, uh, deal with any issue, uh, face any problem, uh, go against any devil or demon of hell. Why? Because uh, the father entrusted to him uh, the sheep of his father's care. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, as a faithful steward to his father, would not see one sheep lost. In the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, remember he left 90 and 9. And he went to the thorns and the thistles of this world and sought out the one and uh, brought the one back. And there was great rejoicing over that one sheep that was lost, but then was found. So here is David as a shepherd. But in these lonely hours, he's preparing himself for a battle he could not envision. But not only is he there, I'm sure, spending time throwing uh, stones with that sling. I'm sure he's also spending a lot of time with the Lord. You can write, read his writings and you can see that this was a man that even from his youth was a man that was in tune with the Spirit of God. This was a man, the Bible says, who was made to hope while he was on his mother's breast. That means he was born again while he was a very young infant child at the very least, maybe even before. But he knew he was hoping at least while he was on his mother's breast. So at least from the time that he could uh, have any memory whatsoever and, and prior, uh, here he was, one born of the Spirit of God. The Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. The Bible calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. Here's an individual that not only spent his time, I believe, out there in the wilderness, uh, uh, preparing to defend his father's flock. He also spent time in the wilderness, uh, spending time with God. He spent a lot of time with the Lord out there in the lonely hours. Uh, with no one to talk to but sheep, he recognized he had a father in heaven that he could talk to. And I believe he spent a lot of time talking to the Lord. And the evidence of that is here in a few moments, uh, he's going to recognize there's a cause to fight for. Uh, there's an army of God that ought to be defended. Uh, he recognizes some spiritual principles that even King Saul and none that are there in that battle can see. Uh, they all see a carnal battle. David sees a spiritual battle. They all see the implements of warfare that uh, Goliath has. David is able to see the implements of warfare that God has. So you're going to find that this young man has more spiritual insight than all the leaders uh, of the military, the king himself, and even his older brothers. So the Bible says that uh, David here, he's the youngest. He's come back to Bethlehem to feed his father's sheep. Now, the Bible goes on to say, that the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. So again, for 40 days, this taunting goes on. And it says, Jesse said to David, his son, and this is important, because later he's going to be accused of coming down there to be a naughty individual. But notice, he doesn't choose to go out there just to check out the battle because he's curious. He goes there at his father's direction. So verse 17, it says, Jesse said to David, his son, take now for thy brethren, and an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses under the cat of their thousand, and look how their, thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. It says, Now Saul and they all, the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So the Bible says that David rose up early in the morning. But notice this, he left the sheep with a keeper. So David doesn't uh, get up and say, Well, Dad's told me to do something different, so the flock doesn't matter. He still was concerned with his father's flock. And so what does he do with the flock? He gets a keeper, somebody that was a trusted individual. 
And he leaves the sheep with the keeper. It says, he took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And as he came to the trench, as the host was going forth to the battle and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle array army against army. So David comes on the scene. And what's going on? Here is uh, one camp on one mountain, one camp on the other mountain. As it's described earlier in the chapter, they've set the battle in array. And here is Goliath down here in the valley taunting Israel. Now, this valley is called Elah, which means the valley of the mighty oak. And uh, obviously Goliath seems like a mighty oak. However, he's going to be brought down by what would be considered just a young boy. Here we see that David, he gets up early. He comes to the place where the Israelites are. It says, David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. It said, as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to fight Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So David shows up on the scene. And here Goliath begins to offer his daily taunt. And here the children of Israel, they flee away. And they're so afraid. David's looking on all this in sore amazement. And notice what they say. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man? He's come to defy Israel. And our king has said that a man that kills him, a king will enrich him. He'll give him his daughter and he'll make his father's house free in the land of Israel. What's that mean? It means they won't have to pay taxes anymore. So here's three great things that an individual will receive. He'll be made rich. He'll be uh, now the king's son-in-law and his household will no longer have to pay taxes. That's a reason right there to go out and fight Goliath for a lot of folks. Uh, you know, no longer have to pay taxes. Uh, and you'll be rich on top of that. They won't tax what you get. And then you get a wife in the uh, whole bargain. I mean, you couldn't hardly beat that deal. Uh, and uh, I'm sure she was a beautiful woman. But anyway, uh, that's not why David, though, is going to be motivated. That doesn't move David. Uh, that hasn't moved any in Israel. For 40 days, they've stood by. For 40 days, they've listened to these taunts. All the bribery that Saul could offer could not move one to go out and fight against Goliath. So the Bible says that David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine and taken away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy? Notice this, the armies of the living God. The children of Israel said he's come to defy Israel. David says, No, he's defying the armies of the living God. See, the children of Israel are not keeping the right perspective. They're just seeing themselves as Israel. David says, no, he's come out here and he's defying the armies of the living God. He's defying God, in other words. So again, David redefines what's going on here. They see it only as a natural battle. David sees it as a spiritual battle. Uh, they can only look at the outward uh, 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 shortcomings they have and the great bravery and height of this man they can't see their own strength, and especially the strength of God. But David, he sees the strength of God, and he's not concerned with the strength of Goliath. Notice what it goes on to let us know. The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killed him. Then his oldest brother comes. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says Eliab, 
his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men that his anger was kindled against David. He said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Then he says this, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So notice David's come on the scene. He's the only one with the right perspective. But the very first thing that his brother says to him is, you're just a prideful young man. You've got a naughty heart. You just come down here to see the battle. And by the way, who did you leave our father's sheep with? Well, he wasn't concerned about his father's sheep. He's out going to war. David was concerned with his father's sheep. He went home from the king's house to take care of them. And when his father commanded him to leave home, he made sure there was a keeper to watch after those sheep. So here we find that uh, the older brother, he begins to belittle David. And you know, it's amazing how many times that we go out to face uh, spiritual enemies. And sometimes it may be our friends and even our kindred in the Lord that might be the ones to try to deter us from fighting the battle of the Lord. That's what's happening here with David. Uh, David is beginning to survey the scene. He's seeing what's going on, trying to inquire what's happening. And as he's inquiring about uh, what's going on, his brother comes and begins to speak in a belittling way to him. But notice what David says. What have I done? He says, is there not a cause? So here David, he recognizes something that the rest do not. He recognizes there is a cause. And the cause, of course, is the cause of God. It's the cause of truth. It's a cause of recognizing that God is our uh, leader. God is our defender. God is the captain of his host. God is the one who will fight our battles for us. God is the one that will uh, be our high tower, our fortress, our defense. I mean, no wonder David could write in the Psalms about how God uh, had delivered him from the floods and from the fire. How that God had been his high tower, his redeemer. How God had been his strength, his rock, and his fortress. David had experienced that uh, when he fought the lion and the bear. And now he'll face, see it when he uh, faces Goliath. So he asked the question, is there not a cause? And that ought to have been a convicting question. Uh, that ought to have made not only Eliab, his older brother, but also all of Israel stand and say, you know what? Uh, David is right. Uh, here we are, the nation that God has chosen. Uh, we're the nation that knows the Lord. We're the nation that worships God in the way that God has told us to. We're the nation that God has blessed above any nation upon the earth. We're the nation that God uh, blessed to come in and take down the city of Jericho. Just walking around the city uh, one time a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. And all we had to do was shout. And all of a sudden the walls of that city came falling down flat. Uh, we're the same uh, uh, army that God has uh, blessed over and over throughout our experience to defeat many great hosts and many great foes, uh, many great battles the Israelites had faced up to this point. But they've forgotten all about that. All they can see is a giant standing right before them. And here they've put their hope in Saul, and Saul has failed them. See, the problem is they got the wrong king. This is the king they wanted. This is the king they got. Sometimes what we ask for is not what we need. And sometimes what we ask for, we ask for it at the wrong time. I've said many times that God intended for there to be a king in Israel. Jacob made that clear when he was dying and he made uh, a prophecy with his 12 sons. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, neither a lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh come. That's a name for the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning king of peace. He says, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So here we find that uh, Jacob has prophesied long ago that out of Judah there would arise a king. The problem is, is Judah sins against the Lord and there's a curse on his line for 10 generations. You know when that lifts? David. 
The children of Israel, they want a king. They just want it too quickly. And so they choose Saul, who's of the tribe of Benjamin. He had no authority to be the king, but the Lord had blessed him. But he did not live obedient to God. So now God's departed from him. The children of Israel don't realize it. So the true king is here on the scene, but they're not looking to him. They're still looking to Saul. Saul hasn't done him any good for 40 days, but they're still looking to Saul. <coughs> but now we find that the true king of Israel is on the scene. The problem for a lot of God's people today is they're looking to the wrong king. They're looking to who's a president right now, maybe who their senator is, maybe who's in office here or there looking for the strength in this situation or that, looking for strength in this individual or that, this personality or that, in their own selves. Uh, a lot of folks are dependent on themselves for salvation, and they're looking to the wrong king. Instead of looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, like we ought to always do, no matter what our circumstances are, uh, oftentimes we turn our focus away from him and focus on other individuals or ourselves like we should not. Well, anyway, we find David, he comes on the scene. He asks that question, is there not a cause? It says he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul, and he sent for him. So David says to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul says, Thou art not able. Now, all for 40 days, they wanted somebody to go. Saul has said, I will make you rich. I'll give you my daughter. Your family won't have to pay taxes. So here comes David. David says, I'll go and fight him. David doesn't say, well, is there not a cause? Somebody ought to do something about this. That's a lot of our approach sometimes when we see something in the kingdom of God needing done. Somebody ought to do something about that. Well, somebody could be you, so just take up and do it. Uh, here, that's David's attitude. Is, uh, here's an enemy that needs to be defeated. And I think I can do it. And so I'm just going to do it. So he says, is there not a cause? Here he comes before Saul. Saul, uh, <coughs> he tells uh, Saul, don't be afraid. Let no man's heart fail. Uh, thy servant will go and I'll fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. What is he saying? Since the time you were born, this man has been fighting. Uh, this man's been in battle even the whole time you've been alive. You're just too young. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no man despise thy youth. Uh, that's directed to ministers. Uh, but here, there's an occasion that uh, David needed to hear those words. David obviously believed these words long before the Apostle Paul ever penned them. He doesn't grow discouraged by the words of his brother. He doesn't grow discouraged by the words of King Saul. Notice what he says. David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. The servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he had defied the armies of the living God. So once again, we find that David, he puts this battle in the right perspective. The children of Israel, all they see it is, is a battle between Israel and the Philistines. David sees it as a battle between spiritual good and spiritual wickedness. He sees it as a battle between the Lord and against the enemies of the Lord. He's got the right eyesight regarding this whole battle. Uh, he's keeping things in the right perspective. He understands that the weapons of his warfare were not carnal, 
but they were mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Uh, he recognized that God would deliver that Philistine into his hand. Uh, he recognized he was nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine. He was nothing to be afraid of, that with God on his side and on the side of the Israelites, God would give that enemy into his hand. So the Bible goes on to say, he says, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of, the Phil of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. Now, I tell you what, of all the things in 1 Samuel 17 that's probably astounding, it's probably when Saul just said that, go. I mean, imagine, you've just pinned the future of all Israel on a young man. Now, we already know that Saul doesn't have his right mind. Uh, so, uh, no, no telling what he's thinking, but maybe in this moment, the spirit of God is upon him. Cause we know that when David has been in his presence before his mind was calmed, David had already said, let no man's heart fail them for fear. He said, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So he tells again, King Saul, all that God had done in his past. He says the same God that delivered me out of the Paul, the lion, the Paul, the bear, will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. So again, Saul says to David, go, and the Lord be with thee. So Saul armed David with his armor, and the Bible tells us he put all that stuff on. But as he put all that on, it was too big for him. It didn't fit right. He couldn't move. Just imagine putting on armor that you hadn't tried before that didn't fit you correctly. And here you are, a young shepherd that's used to just being out there with the freedom of movement. David's not worried about having a coat of brass. He's not worried about having a helmet. He doesn't need a sword. Uh, he's not wanting all those things. He doesn't need the sheaves upon his legs. All those things would just slow him down and hinder him. I think David recognized what the Apostle Paul taught in Ephesians chapter 6, that he had a better armor. He had the helmet of salvation. He had the breastplate of righteousness. He had his uh, loins girt about with truth. He had uh, his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He had the shield of faith. He had the sword of the spirit. And above all that, he was a man of prayer. And so he doesn't need all this armor of Saul. It didn't do Saul any good, did it? I mean, for 40 days, Saul wasn't uh, willing to go out and fight with it. So David says, we'll find that he is Satan. He, would, he said, I will not go. I have not proved it. David said, I cannot go with these. And David put them off. Verse 40, it says he took his staff in his hand. He chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script and sling within his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So here's what David does. David says, here's what I do know. I know how to take five smooth stones and put them in my shepherd's bag. I know how to take my sling, and I can go out there with those things, and I can slay this giant. So here we find David is going to use things he's used to. Things he's used in the past. There's been times I've gone hunting. Brother West could tell you about this. Use a gun I hadn't proved before. And I've learned the hard way many times. Don't go out hunting with something you haven't proved already. Uh, <coughs> there are other weapons that I have for defense at home. I have proved them, I promise you. Uh, they've been used many times. They've been well proved. Uh, I haven't hunted in many, many years until last year, and so I hadn't proved some firearms for that. But David, he's proved these. He's tested them. He knows they work. And so notice again, David puts off all that Saul gave him. He took his staff in his hand. He chose him five smooth stones. A lot of people want to know why five. Oh, I don't know why five. 
Maybe that's what fit in a bag. Uh, I mean, some say, well, you know, that was one for each of the doctrines of grace. That's ridiculous. Uh, some say, well, you know, he had four brothers. That's true, but I don't think David knew that. Well, it could have been just simply this. Maybe he was going to miss with the first one, so he wanted some backup. I don't know. All I know is he picked up five. That's what fit in his hand when he went to pick them up. But notice what he does. He picks out five smooth stones. Why smooth stones? Well, they're aerodynamic. He could send them out of that sling. They would go where he would direct them. He didn't want some angular pointed rock that would not uh, fly in the air like he would want it. So he picks out five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even a script, and his sling was in his hand, excuse me, and he drew near the Philistine. It says, verse 41, that the Philistine came on and drew near to David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. Now think about this. Here's just young David, a lad. All he's got is a, a shepherd's staff, five smooth stones. He's got a scrip, which is the shepherd's bag, his sling. And here comes Goliath. He's got this helmet that weighs 30 pounds. He's got this staff that weighs... Uh, well, just the head of it weighs 18 pounds, 26 foot long. Sheaves on his legs, 15 pounds apiece. A coat of mail that weighs 157 pounds. And then his shield is so big that he's got a guy out in front of him holding the shield. As Brother Danny Wisner said a couple weeks ago, here's Goliath cheating. I mean, here he is uh, going out there with all this armor on, and he's got somebody out in front of him. He said, I'm going to be the champion of representative, but he's got somebody uh, standing between him. You know what? The odds are all in favor of Goliath, and they're all stacked against uh, David. But, you know, it doesn't matter if the natural odds are stacked against you if the Lord's on your side. If the Lord's on your side, all the odds can be against you as far as it's naturally uh, concerned. But that doesn't matter because God could set all those odds aside and overcome an enemy. So here you have David and Goliath coming out to meet each other. It says, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And notice what it says. The Philistine went on to say, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine. Now think about it. David's already had to listen to the taunts of his brother to the taunts of King Saul, and now he's listening to Goliath. Now, the taunts of Eliab, his brother, did not affect him. The taunts of Saul did not affect him, and from what I can tell, the taunts of Goliath have not either. Uh, he's not going to allow this uncircumcised Philistine to deter him from serving the Lord. So it says, David said to him, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. See, once again, David put the battle in the right terms. He says, you come out with me with this sword and your shield and your staff. He says, but here's what I come with. I come with the name of God. I come in the name of the Lord. I've got the name of the Lord on my side. So you know what he's doing? He's taking the name of Jesus with him. Uh, he recognizes he's going out there to defend the name of God. He's defending the honor of God. And he's defending the nation that God had chosen to put his name there. And so David is not going to listen to this man and be discouraged. Notice what he goes on to say. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. And I will give the carcass of, thy, uh, of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
And that's what it goes on to say. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord save not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now notice what all David says. David, first of all, says, I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to give you to the car your carcass to the uh, fowls of the air, to the beasts of the earth, that all the earth, everyone can know that there is a God in Israel, capital G. Now, the Philistine had cursed David by his gods, little g. But here we find that David says, let all the earth know there's a God in Israel. And then he says, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord. Who's he really talking to? He's really talking to the children of Israel back behind him. He's saying this assembly needs to know something. They haven't seen this. They haven't recognized this. They're not believing this. He says, this assembly shall know. That the Lord save it not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, not into my hands, he says, but into our hands. What's David saying? I represent him. And when I take your life, God will have given your life into our hands. Not mine, but ours. He didn't separate himself. He recognized he's the representative of the children of Israel at this moment. And as such, he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about when Jesus came to this world. Uh, when you looked at him, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, there was no form nor beauty about him or no comeliness that we should desire him. There was nothing about the outward appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ that would give one confidence in his ability to conquer sin, death, and hell. Nothing about the outward appearance. Nothing externally. That would make an individual say, that's got to be the Son of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. But the children of God had many giant enemies that were facing us. We were facing our sins. Uh, we were facing demons. Uh, we were facing the devil. We were facing death. And we were facing an eternity in hell were it not for the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those were the enemies, the foes that stood before us. And there we were up on the top of a mountain. And over here we see a battle or an enemy uh, that was strong against us. Uh, that we knew that we could not defeat. And here they had a champion in between. His name is Satan uh, that we could not go up against. We needed a champion ourselves that would be our representative that would go out and fight the battle. And while on the outward appearance, the Lord Jesus Christ did not seem fit for the job. Uh, he was the only man that could do it. Uh, he was that fit man that the Old Testament described uh, that would carry out that scapegoat in the wilderness that showed that our sins were gone forever. The Lord Jesus Christ would fight the battle of sin. He would fight the battle of Satan. He would fight the battle of, the de of death. And he would fight the battle over the grave. And he would defeat every one of those enemies that you and I would ever face. And so that all the giants that ever stood between us and our enemies, the Lord Jesus Christ took them out of the way and nailed every one of them to his cross. Uh, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in our defense. He has been our champion. Uh, he's been willing to face the Goliaths of our life and conquer every single one of them. Uh, he's taken off their heads. Remember what it says in Genesis chapter 3 uh, when the Lord is talking to Satan. He says, uh, the seed of the woman will bruise your head. Well, here we're going to find that the head of Goliath is going to be taken off. There's coming a day the Lord Jesus Christ will bruise the head of Satan. Anyway, we find that Goliath... He put his hand in his bag. Well, first it says, verse 48. It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Think about that. I mean, here's a young man. He's not a bit afraid. I don't see an ounce of fear. I see an, He doesn't just tepidly go up. 
This is a young man that without any trepidation whatsoever goes towards Goliath. Goliath hears these words. He's enraged by these words. And so he comes out to go against uh, David. I suspect he thought that once he began marching towards David, that David would turn and flee. What do you think happened when he saw David start running? Uh, here you have David. He doesn't turn and flee, but instead he runs towards him. So here it says, David, he began to run toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and he took thence a stone. The Bible says, and he slung it. And he smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk in his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So here David, he begins running. As he begins running, he just reaches down in that bag just as naturally as you could. Puts that uh, stone in the sling and begins to wind up and he lets it fly. And it didn't take uh, a second of those stones. The first one did the job. I think David thought about this. You know what? Yeah, you may be almost 10 foot tall. All that means is you're a bigger target than I've ever had before. Uh, yes, you may be a massive giant before me, but that just means you're a big target. It'll be hard for me to miss. Uh, that's what some folks need, you know, just a big target. Uh, uh, they can't hit a small one. But here's David. He's not afraid of the giant. That's just a bigger target that he cannot miss. And so he takes, as he's running that sling, he takes a stone out of that bag, just slips his hand down in it, puts it in, winds up, and lets it fly. And that uh, stone hits the giant in the forehead that it sinks into his forehead. And the Bible says it smote him. He fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And he smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Now you can imagine what all is being thought right now. You got the army of the Philistines up on one mountain, the army of Israel up on another mountain. And here you have David down in the valley and the giant is laying down on the ground. Maybe the Philistines could see a rock fly. Who knows? Maybe they think that he's just playing around for a moment. Uh, I'm sure if nothing else, they're just standing there in astonishment that their giant is laying on the earth. I kind of suspect at this moment they think, well, he's just taunting David to draw David in. And when David gets there, he's going to get up and put this youth where he belongs. But, of course, he's already dead. The Bible says he's already been smote with the stone. However, he's, there's no sword in the hand of David. David already said that he was going to take his head off. So what's David going to do? The Bible says that David ran and stood upon the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. Notice this uh, giant never did even draw a sword. I mean, he's got that long spear. I guess he was just going to use the spear, but he was so unprepared for battle, he still hadn't drawn a sword out. David has run so quickly that he's closed the gap wherein you would use a spear. Now it was time for hand-to-hand -hand combat that a sword should have been out. And this skilled, uh, a valiant man, remember what Saul said? He's been a valiant man from his youth. Well, he wasn't too experienced. He's caught off guard. When the time was to come, he should have had a sword out. It's still in his sheet. David has to draw it out while he's standing on top of it. And he draws it out, cuts off his head there. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. When they saw what's happened now, they're afraid. For 40 days, the children of Israel have been afraid. For 40 days, they have stood there and trembled. For 40 days, they've been taunted and teased. For 40 days, they've been made a laughing stock there among the Philistines. For 40 days, this has gone on. But in just a few moments of David arriving on the scene, we find that his father sends them out here. And within just a little time, what happens? David has the victory in control. You know what? God sent his son into this world. This world had been plagued by sin for thousands of years. It took Jesus just a little time 
to uh, right every wrong, to take care of every demon and every foe that we ever had, to put aside every enemy, to conquer every uh, thing that would ever stand against us. It didn't take Jesus long to do that. I don't know, he lived 33 and a half years, but if you really look at the culmination of his redemptive work, it happened in one moment when he breathed out his last breath, when he gave up the ghost, you and I stood justified before God, and there in that moment, uh, all the foes uh, that stood between you and I uh, going to heaven and being with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ had conquered every one of them. Uh, they've all been taken out of the way by the power of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says, much more shall we be saved now by his life. Anyway, the Bible says that after David ran and cut off his head, the men of Israel, after the Philistines flee, the men of Israel and of Judah arose and they shouted. You know what happens now? They're encouraged. For 40 days they've been afraid. But now they see they have a champion that was more skilled than the champion of the Philistines. And you know what we ought to know and ought to do? We ought to know we've got a greater champion in the Lord Jesus Christ than this world ever would have. And we ought to be encouraged by that. And we oughtn't be discouraged. I know there's some folks right now really worried about what's going to happen November 3rd. I'm not worried about it. I don't care. Which, I mean, I do care which way it goes. Uh, but what I mean by that is I know this. The Lord is still in control. No matter what party wins, no matter what this nation looks like, no matter what happens, I know that the Lord is in charge. The Lord is in control. And I'm not going to stand in fear uh, worried about the enemies. Why? Because I have a better champion than any champion in this world. His name is Jesus. And Jesus has taken care of all the problems of my life up to this point. He's taken care of the biggest problem that I've ever had, and that's sin and death. Uh, he took my sin away and purged my sin. He gave me eternal life. Uh, he's taken care of that. If he could take care of my eternal life, he could sure take care of the little problems that I face each and every day. Uh, there are giants that I face and there's other uh, small problems that I face, but the reality is this, Jesus can face every one of them and defeat every one of them. Remember he says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So here we see King David. He's not on the throne yet, but he showed a lot more of what a king ought to be than what Saul ever did. Here's a man that first of all, he can put the battle in the right perspective. He could see the battles the Lord's. He could see that this man wasn't divine, defying Israel. He was defying the armies of God. He could see this was a spiritual battle, not just a natural battle. He could see it was the Lord's battle and not just his. He could see that the Lord could deliver without all the weapons of war. The Lord could deliver with few instead of with great numbers. He saw things correctly. Because he had great courage and faith in the Lord. All that time as a shepherd out there with those sheep was time well spent. It was time where he honed his skills in prayer and his skills in battle. And so here this shepherd would be the defender of the children of Israel. A lot of people, they would rather have some great military uh, captain or general to be the one to lead them. I'll take a shepherd any day. The Lord says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The Lord Jesus Christ was willing to give his life for us so that you and I would have life with him forever and ever. And in the Lord Jesus Christ giving his life, showing himself the good shepherd. He's a better shepherd than David ever was. David was a good shepherd. Remember when he left home, he made sure there was a keeper for those sheep. But we find the Lord Jesus Christ is a better shepherd than even David was. We find that the Lord Jesus Christ was a shepherd uh, that is always concerned. He's the one that can cause us to return to him. That's what the Bible says. When the chief shepherd shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. 
The Bible tells us we're to return to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. The Lord Jesus Christ, who's conquered every foe, defeated every enemy, has also drawn us near to himself, knows us uh, by name. We hear his voice. He knows us, and we follow him. I'd much rather have a shepherd as my defender if that shepherd's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been able to fight every enemy that we have ever had to face. And the important thing for you and I is to always keep in focus. The battles you and I face need to be termed in spiritual ways, not just carnal ways. And recognize that we have a God on our side. As Isaiah would say, no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. We need to recognize that with the Lord on our side, there's no weapon in this world that shall ever prosper against any child of God. May God bless you today as our prayer.